Hello, welcome to episode 172 of Riot Act, the alternative music podcast, your weekly delve into all things, or at least some things, alternative music based. My name's Stephen Hill, joined as ever by Renfrey Deadman, who is, what's that look on your face for? Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, it's a scratch in my face. Oh, you were looking at me like I said something really awful. No, 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 no. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe it's... Uh, Waiting for it. Maybe you've seen into the future, Renfrey. <laughs> Quite possibly. Seen into the future to see my hot takes that are coming up on the show this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, do you work for the Grammys, maybe? Um, that, that would be an awful thing. <laughs> It would be an awful thing. It would make you quite, so a, many ways. quite a bad person, I think. But um, have you been? You all right? What, anything good been happening in your life? Uh, I saw June last night in the cinema. It's taken all of my willpower not to say Terry and June. <laughs> like, all of it. Every single ounce of my body is, like, curling up. And um, I went to cinema last night, actually. What enough. did you see? I saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ah, uh, and okay <laughs> well mark well, kermode's review really put me off it because he described a thing that is happening in hollywood movies at the moment which i absolutely despise i'd be curious to know if you think that, the, what, that it what did is that, that thing because i've not so what kermode said about it uh was that basically the majority of the film is going hey do you remember do you remember the old films yeah. remember remember yeah. ghostbusters from 1984 hey hey remember this <laughs> Isn't nostalgia great? I'm that like, no, it, yeah. go away. But, but so people say to me when I and I say stuff like popular culture has eaten itself alive. Mm. It's Ghostbusters Afterlife is exactly what I mean. And whilst in there, there was a trailer for another Spider-Man film. Oh yes. yeah, another Spider-Man yes, film. Of course, yes. we're getting a new Batman film, aren't we? Yes, getting a new Batman film because obviously it's not enough Batman films. Yes, starting yes. the Batman thing again. Oh, I wonder what happened. Do you think you'll? These parents will get killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman, we've seen it. <laughs> Saw it in 1989. And then... Uh, anyway. And there was an advert for, so an advert for Spider-Man and The Matrix. And it's like, you, yeah. you're just not interested. You are the... Hollywood has become like a fucking John Lewis advert. Like getting yeah. old things and just going, there you go. And I, 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 the first half of Ghostbusters Afterlife, mm. I thought was really good. I was like, this is, it's the same thing. I, I like Doctor Strange, but when Doctor Strange went, you know, The Shining, let's do that, innit? Just do that. And it, <laughs> they just cannot resist doing the same thing. Yeah. It's literally the same. End. I'm not ruining, if you've seen Ghostbusters, I, 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 I mean, I'm not ruining this new Ghostbusters film for anyone, but because if you've seen Ghostbusters, you will suddenly go, you'll get mad de- deja vu where you're like, this is exactly the same. That coming to America, coming to America too. Yeah. It I is, heard that as well. It is the and deja like, vu thing that pisses me off because it is, but but they are doing it on purpose because they're doing it in a sort of like, you you like you like this thing. This is what you're excited about. It's giving like lip service to the fans and and like, I think there probably is a certain type of fan who wants that. But oh yeah, they're very stupid, dull, stupid, e- yeah. easily emotionally <laughs> manipulated people. Yeah, and that's all it is. It's really easy emotional manipulation. Having said that, I mean, arguably all films are just emotionally manipulating you. But I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah but not in the like in the most kind of lazy way. Yes, exactly. People, are, I mean. I actually quite liked the film, and I thought the kids in it are really good. Finn Wolfhard. Turn into a film review. 
Sorry? I like it when we go film review, though. It's a nice... Uh, what did you a... just say about a Wolfhard? Uh, is it is his name Film Wolfhard? It's not Film Wolfhard, is it? I fucked up the, his no. name. What's his I name? Don't know. Oh. I don't know. I have no idea. The kids. So it's the guy the from uh, Stranger Things. I'm going to have to look this up now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in, he's in it as well, I believe. Um, I believe the actor... Oh, no, I'm, I'm completely right. His name is Finn Wolfhard. What a great name. Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard. Wolfhard. Yeah, that's his name. That is quite a name. There's someone yeah, else yeah. with a very unusual name. Well, Renfrew Dublin. Um, yeah, uh, well, no, actually, I looked at the name and I was like, bloody hell, you would not want to have that name. What is... I've got... In fact, I might not even say it because... Cougar I Dreams. I was offended. <laughs> Sorry? Cougar Dreams is the first thing I no. thought of. <laughs> Imagine being called no. Cougar Dreams, though. You're not even going to no, say I, it. Shall I guess no. what it is? Well, if you've got the cast up in front of you, there's one name that stands out and I'm like, oh, that's... Is it, her, her surname's a racial slur, put it that way. Oh, crikey. Should I just say it? Because it's her name. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I see. I don't think I um, should say no, that. Uh, oh, no. You've, you've kind of... No. Uh, no, no. You can well, Google it, it if you want. And you all go... Mm. Yeah. yeah, but that's a, uh, that's, that's a very unfortunate surname. It sort of is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, hey, what can you do? What can you do? Well, you could change, change it. Well, you could change it, but yeah, you know. I mean, certainly if you're an actress in Hollywood movies, you've got no reason to not change your name. Yeah. I mean, do you know, do you know Michael Keaton's real name is Michael Douglas? Did you know that? Um, that that was one of those facts that I it was so buried in my mind. I've, I've, I feel like I've heard it, but I felt like I heard it again mm. for the first time there. Yes, absolutely. I, yeah. I did know that. And the end to anyway, it. the kids in the Ghostbusters are quite good. And then it just goes, oh, fuck this. Let's bin this off and just do the first Ghostbusters film again. And I was a bit like, oh. That is more or less what Mark Kermo said. Although, actually, he, he said that the first half of the film was boring. But he did. He was like, well, at least it's, you know, different. And But then the mm. second half, they just go, yeah, remember just the other little, two. Because it is, you know, it's based in the same universe. So a little tease here and there I was all right with. Oh, look, it's the trap. Oh, look, it's the... Mm-hmm. They're looking yeah, at the yeah, old yeah. footage on YouTube. That's all fine. Yeah. But when you're literally going... And then a dog chases Paul Rudd around and eats him and turns him into the key master. Come on. I've heard... Oh, spoiler. I've heard it. No, not really, because you've seen <laughs> Ghostbusters. If you've seen Ghostbusters... Is Paul Rudd seen... basically Rick Moranis in this film then? Yeah. Right. <sighs> basically. I don't want to watch it. It's all right. I mean, you know, it's all right. It's not the worst. It's better than the Bill and Ted film. Oh, but I'm, just, right. I'm just so sick of... I'm so, like... Yeah. I don't want you to keep remaking things that I love. Stop it. Can you imagine if when in the 90s they, they kept remaking like Muffin the Mule and, <laughs> and Bill and Ben Flowerpot Men. They just kept going, no, you have this. Have this. You have to. My parents had it, so you're having it as well. Yeah. Like, grown up, start making films for kids, not for you when you were a kid. This is why uh, Dune was ten times better because the thing is, is the original Dune adaption by David Lynch it was very, mm-hmm. very, very flawed to say the least. Mm-hmm. And um, this is a very different. Feels like you're slagging off Sting. I, I'm certainly slagging him off in those silly pants that he was wearing in that film. <laughs> Fucking hell! He wants to be he wants to be a metal singer now, doesn't he? That's something we haven't thrown in this week. We don't even have time for it. Sting said he wants to. He fancies himself as doing a metal. I mean, you know, mate. I thought fucking you hang. Stick with Shaggy. That's more your. Well, even that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I'd rather have I'd rather have Sting and Shaggy than Sting and Kerry King. Yes, I'll give you that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Anyway, welcome to the show, everyone. This is actually a music <laughs> podcast, as we mentioned before. June was good, though, was it? Because I haven't watched that June's yet. June's really good, yeah. I, I was really, I really like, impressed uh, with it. The spectacle is unbelievable. And the score by Hans Zimmer, holy shit. I like D- Denny Villeneuve. I love Denny Villeneuve. I think he's absolutely brilliant. I can't pronounce his name, but I'm very, very keen Obviously. on him. Indeed. I can't pronounce his first name, which is fairly... Denny. Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Yeah, no, 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 that sounds right, yeah. On. you take a minute to compose your tweet you listening take a minute to compose your tweet or your message on our facebook or on the download forum about how we've deliberately mispronounced that person's name wrong because i know you love doing that yeah. so we'll, we'll give you a minute to do that all right anyway listen on the show this week we are going to be joined by metal hammer editor merlin alderslade our good friend merle and we're going to be talking about something which is becoming ever increasingly more important within the functionality of how a band becomes popular and that is the image not so much a gimmick we were toying with using the idea of a gimmick but in fact actually we'll use image and all the things that come because that feels like a broader umbrella yeah i think not just um the image but how image has morphed in the last few years i mean we'll get into that later and how it has become an even broader thing with the internet but certainly talking to merle about it we got a really interesting perspective because merlin obviously has to adhere to certain uh, certain rules and things that we don't have to think about at all he works in a visual medium he works in a visual medium exactly so um it was really helpful to get his insight and um yeah it was that was a really really good chat i really really enjoyed that so thank you very much to him for coming on we'll have that in a few i don't know half an hour or so we've got other stuff to talk about first though haven't we we've got lots of other stuff to talk about yeah. including our patreon page patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast where we recently put up a brand new Riot Ears review on Thriller. <laughs> Thriller night. And no one gonna. Not by Michael Jackson, but by new and original. Jonah Matranga's band of much ignored and unfairly ignored emo. I was going to say pop punky, but oh, actually there's not a lot of pop, no, pop punk on that true. album at all. There's just a couple of like upbeat ones. We talked about that mm. in the thing, but... Mm. Um, yeah, a really good album. Thriller by New End Original, if you haven't heard it, it is really great. Thriller by Michael Jackson is perfectly fine as well. You are but, going um, absolutely mad with the hot takes recently, and I'm not going to give it away because I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to people to actually sign up to the Patreon, but you had a mad hot take on the Black Crows classic album mm-hmm. and a mad hot take. I mean, I, actually, I mean... What was I, a I, mad hot... What was a mad hot take on that one? Then? What, what, the, the, the Thriller by New and Original is better than Thriller by Michael Jackson? Literally just said, don't say it, so that you encourage oh, people okay. to sign up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair with you, I agree. I was just trying to make people sign up, but it's a waste of time now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't bring it up and then just go, yeah. Well, well, it was meant to be a tease. It's not much of a tease, is it? Go it on. Wouldn't make me well, it, wouldn't, it was a tease until you blabbed it. Thriller's the fourth best Michael Jackson album. I mean, yeah, thrillers. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on thriller. It's fine. Uh, it, it's, it's not actually that great. It's almost like a lot of the um, so-called classic albums that people have been telling you are classics for years and years and years aren't actually that good. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I just think that I would, because thriller's still good. Yeah, I know you would. Yeah, I mean, if I can. Yeah, okay. But in the majority of cases, I think usually... Thriller's still got an undeniable magic about it, I think. But I just think there's a lot of... There's a bit of fluff on it. When it's good, it's unbelievable. Look at you, Do you see dribbling. that piece of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Renfrew just dribbled coffee down no, his face. No, 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 no. Okay, I didn't dribble coffee down my face. I, I'm still dribbling <laughs> down your face. 
as we are, I didn't dribble coffee down my face, he says, as a massive <laughs> piss stain of coffee goes gurgling out the side of your mouth. Oh, God, it's, it's like last week all over again, isn't it? Yeah, and you did not have my consent to do that, so... <laughs> Okay, so the only thing I'm going to pick you up on that, I think dribble is when coffee has gone into your mouth or a liquid mm-hmm. has gone into your mouth and then it comes out of your mouth. I just spilt coffee on me and it dribbled down my yeah. beard there. No, that's 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 much better. I think, <laughs> I think not being able to put a, a cup to your mouth and pour liquid into it is nothing to be embarrassed by. No, oh, I'm at, still embarrassed. I'm just, <laughs> just, <laughs> I just wanted to clear up the fact that I hadn't actually. That's anyway, good. that's good. Should All right, yes. Yeah, so there we go. New and original thriller. That is a writer's review out now. Next week, you will be getting a classic album on Deaf Heavens, Sunbay the Records, which we will be doing. If you sign up for our £5 a month classic album tier, you get a couple of classic albums. We recently did the Black Crows, as Renfrey mentioned. We've also got the Lights, Guns and Roses, Gallows, Opeth, Nick Cave, Depeche Mode, Beastie Boys, Foo Fighters, System of a Down, Jane's Addiction, Glassjaw, Seeger Ross, Lauren Hill, Morbid Angel, Neil Young, REM, Baroness, Joy Division, Soundgarden, Ben Foss 5, Gajira, Special, Smashing Pumpkins, PJ Harvey, Meshuggah, Typo Negative, Weezer and the Beatles and others that are available on there. But that's just not a bad amount to keep you going mm-hmm. as yep. you go. So there you go, patreon.com forward slash Riot Act podcast and you can sign up for all the exclusive content over there. There is other content that we put out as well. We recently put an album review of Idols Crawler up earlier this week that's right isn't it i'm getting my weeks right and i'm gonna say we've put another review up this week even though we haven't actually recorded it yet so i am somewhat tempting fate by no 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 you can say mentioning this we're gonna get out good good yeah breaking the trauma bond by voices london's voices have an album out today if you're listening to this podcast the day that it comes out Mm -hmm. we've already reviewed it if you'd like to hear our thoughts on that record not a massive massive band voices but certainly lots of things to talk about within that record which we haven't actually spoken about as we record this but you have potentially already heard but anyway go over and listen to that because i think it'll become clear why we decided to do a podcast on voices there's not a lot out this week that is particularly interesting i'm just gonna say it it's not a particularly inspiring week for new releases in general things are beginning to slow down for christmas finally yeah there's the bbc six music sessions by sun Mm -hmm. the marianne hobbs sessions yeah is out and evening with imperial triumphant their live stream thing released as an album i did listen to that as well and it's exactly what it well it's not what it says on the tin but it's fucking bonkers as you'd imagine i mean yeah it's imperial triumphant being bonkers but yeah uh bungit have an album out this is all very fucking very cold cult, yeah cult like kvlt isn't it yeah yeah very very uh westlife wild dream <laughs> that's out as well yeah yeah alternative <laughs> music podcast there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that is. I've still got coffee in my beard. That's really distracting. For you, the... imagine what I've got to look at. It, for fuck's sake. Sorry, carry on. Um, yeah, there's there's there seems to be a lot of stuff which is the sessions like live things. There's a couple of old like there's a couple of old David Bowie things that have been released, re-released. 
um howard jones at the bbc it's coming up to christmas and i feel like that's the thing isn't it yeah so often when you come out to christmas it becomes like greatest hits and stuff like that but i feel like because of what we've just had and the live streaming stuff and all that it's like oh well let's get our live stream stuff out for christmas um which can almost act as a greatest hits these days um so you know yeah i think i think that's basically what's happened but it's not mega exciting to talk about really i don't think there's a band called imminence who have an album out called heaven in hiding and if you like architects you might hear that and go, wow, they sound a bit like this band that I really love, but absolutely nowhere near as good. Right. Mm. If you can imagine just the Doomsday riff played over and over. I basically reviewed this for Metal Hammer, and I was like, fucking hell, this band are boring. Really, really boring. But people love that shit. I mean, I just, I mentioned it because, I mean, I hate it. I think it's fucking terrible, that record. Absolutely crap. But it's out on Friday. Ignore it. And I should have really ignored it. Can we talk about Cynic, which is much better? We should definitely talk about Cynic, which is much better. So Cynic have a new record out. It is the first Cynic record since 2014, kindly bent to free us, which is you know seven years in the making. Obviously, I, I wasn't entirely sure that we would get a new Cynic record after Sean Reinert died at the start of 2020. Mm. And Sean Malone also died. The the rhythm section, the classic yeah. kind of rhythm section of of Cynic. Um, and I mean, Sean Reinhardt in particular on drums is a huge, huge part of the band. And it sort of just leaves Paul Masvidal. Now, obviously, Sean Reinhardt and Paul Masvidal in death metal, mm-hmm. legendary character, both played on Human by Death, the best death record, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion. And, you know, I wasn't sure if we would i mean i hadn't even thought this kind of popped up and i was like oh i didn't even know whether or not we were going to be there was anything being worked on at all Mm. by cynic i just assumed that without those you know those people then there there would be no more you know there would there would be no more uh the album's called ascension codes and i kind of wanted to bring it up because i listened to it because you know i like i think tracing air is really good focus from 1993 is incredibly important album in the evolution of i mean can we even call it death tech death whatever you want to kind of tie it down as um this is it's 18 tracks nearly 50 minutes long just shy of 50 minutes yep very progressive as you would probably imagine but there's not a lot in terms of sonic intensity almost at all that seems to have been completely stripped from the band really isn't it and what you get i think is kind of like for me a very interesting record quite a beautiful record at points and a record which i think i mean put next to the between the buried and me record which we reviewed earlier this year which has been getting really good reviews i mean this for me is vastly superior to that because there are legitimate hooks on it Mm. and yet it still remains quite an obtuse and challenging record in the main i would say but i but i do really like this i think this is dead good i really liked it i didn't really make that um colors to uh i mean only only in the sense that they're both progressive heavy bands um i think the big thing i i mean i listened to this and i was like there's a lot of Devon Townsend in here, you know. I I, much, I thought, yeah. and I, 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 which I was quite surprising. That's not strictly what I expected from Cynic. I mean, for me, the album that has beaten 
between the buried and me to the punch in terms of doing that kind of thing is 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 rivers and Hill. i think yeah if, if you're talking about a heavy album that is getting lots of different elements together and putting it all together but in a, in a manner that is cohesive rather than just like let's chuck everything at a wall and see what sticks that is the album um but uh yeah i thought i thought this was a really kind of beautiful it felt like it was a sort of an ode to their fallen mm. comrades and I think that's a really cool thing to do. And just the fact that I listened to it and I don't know Cynic super well. I know bits and pieces and I've listened to, I've probably listened to them more since the two Sean's have passed away. And yes, I was as surprised as you that we were getting a new Cynic record and I sort of expected it to sound like what we've had before. But no, this doesn't sound like that at all. I think this is a really lovely uh, tribute to them, I would say. I Yeah, mate, um, and I, 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 I agree, actually. I think it's... um. I think it's a really yeah it is it it feels it's a it's a sort of sadder record and they've always you know I think Cynic have always been one of the the foremost forefront bands at pushing melody and progressive things within a broadly speaking extreme metal framework yeah and they've always been very very good at that um but this is yeah this is a uh, this is a really interesting record and it did there are parts of it that are very moving and there are parts of it that are really beautifully melodic and really catchy and really stay with you for a long time and I think that was the thing when I th- when you think of kind of challenging progressive bands like how much of it actually stays with you and quite a lot of this record over the sort of three or four listens that I've I've given it has has stayed with me a fair lot so you know yeah I, I, I rate this record mm. I rate this record um, quite highly so yeah, go and have a little listen to that. It is it is good. It is good. In news this week, before we get into stuff, there's a couple of things that are fairly interesting. First of all, Adele. We spoke about Adele last week mm. and the fact that she'd released a new record. Adele has persuaded Spotify to take the shuffle button off of all album pages so the tracks play in the artist's own order. She tweeted, we don't create albums with so much care and thought into our track listing for no reason. Our art tells a story and our story should be listened to as we intended. Thank you, Spotify, for listening. Now, that as a headline is is really good. It doesn't quite go into the minutiae of what is actually going on here. I'm on Spotify on my desktop now and I'm looking at Adele 30 and I see that the shuffle button absolutely is there and I can press it. So I don't know. Is okay. this even a fucking story? What's going on? Well, <laughs> I, I was under the impression because Spotify said users still can choose to shuffle the album, but the system would default to playing tracks in the order chosen by the artist. Which makes me think when you set up Spotify or when you first get Spotify, albums don't play in the correct order. Now, I do know people who do this who have albums on shuffle i think they're like the fucking joker in the dark night setting fire to all that money some people just want to watch the world burn. i don't know what their fucking problem is to be perfectly honest and so it's not actually a massive thing but if it's taken adele to go hey by the way maybe listen to albums in the way that you're supposed to listen to albums and i did see a lot of i looked at the thing on twitter and I looked at the Spotify sort of announcement of it and the pushback that Spotify got of people going, oh, well, you're going to come into my house and pour milk all over my cornflakes for me now, are you? Not, not let me choose what milk I like. It's like, no, you idiot. If you go to the cinema, like I didn't get to go, hold on, guys, skip to the end of this film and then I'll watch a start at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, I know for some albums it doesn't really matter. Probably wouldn't really matter on that new Limp Biscuit album, for example. Mm-hmm. That's just a sort of fun time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But for some albums, 
it actually does matter imagine listening to the wall on shuffle it'd be a mess oh sorry it would be even more of a mess than it already is <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know it's hard to argue that it, it you know it, it wouldn't be even more of a mess yeah, it, yeah. It, it would it's it's hard enough to fucking know what's going on on that album it is and that's coming from someone who fucking loves it <laughs> he does it my, yeah. absolutely loves it but yeah. it is hard work that record it's hard it work is. by design yeah and to shuffle it around you would just you wouldn't i don't think you'd get you'd never get close to the intention from it and you could go well i should be able to listen to music however i want blah blah blah. it's like yeah you should and the way that you should want to listen to music is the way that the artist who made the record intended it to be made so although yes you're right you can listen to music however you so wish and you should be able to go yeah well i should decide how i want to listen to music completely agree you should and you should want to listen to it how they want you to listen to it so there you go sounds like a contradictory statement but i do understand what you mean i think um i think i i mean what is good about stuff like this story even though i kind of tease that this is a bit of a non-story isn't it it isn't because it means that suddenly even if for just a few moments it makes casual music fans think about the sequencing of albums and think about how they actually consume music and all that sort of thing and it takes someone like Adele to do something like this even though like I say I'm on my Spotify on my desktop right now and you absolutely can shuffle the album it's right there so nothing seems to have actually happened as a result of it but um, generally I would say I think choice is a good thing and I think consumers having choice consumers having choice like that's why people get really riled up about this sort of thing don't they because and like then they'll bring in like i live in a free country if i want to shuffle my album i I should be able to shuffle it which is absolutely fucking absurd when you bring stuff like that into it i'm sure that's what people are fighting the rights of the constitution for so that you can play your album in a different fucking order but i totally agree with you that there are multiple albums particularly in the stuff that we talk about where it is really clear that the sequencing of a record is really really important to the way that you listen to it um and i mean we were just talking about between the buried and me and i think the majority of between the buried and me records for example are sequenced in such a way where it's vital that you listen to them in that order at all our classics are doing that mm. but it isn't even just like you know proggy metal things i think you know i can understand why adele has gone well this is the order that i'd like people to listen to things in and yada 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 i i totally understand that i think shuffle on a playlist or something like that i completely understand totally but you know it is a shame that people don't really put as much levity into the way that an artist is asked has designed something to be taken on as a whole but then you know there's also a huge debate as to whether people actually even listen to albums uh in full on spotify i mean a lot of the statistics would suggest that they or streaming services i should say uh a lot Mm -hmm. of the a lot of the statistics suggest that they don't i mean the the biggest song on 30 for example i mean this is such an amazing stat uh has 319 million plays already easy on me now i appreciate that would have come out you know a, a, a few months prior but uh love is a game the last song on the record has eight million really almost nine million but yeah when you compare those two numbers i mean people are clearly listening to easy on i mean people would have a lot of people would have only had 
easy on me to listen we, to for a long time but you know we mentioned this when we did philosophy of the world by the shags that's right on broken records and you you quite rightly i think brought up the fact that the first song has a loads hundred like over a hundred thousand listens and then you get down to the last song on the record and it's got less than ten thousand listens yeah well easy goes to show do people really like the band or are they just trying to say how cool they are because they easy easy on me is probably an outlier because it was a single that was released and it's uh, before the album came out but if we take the first song on the album which i don't think was pre-released that has 14 million three hundred twenty-five thousand nine hundred forty-two, and then you get down to track 12 lovers a game and it's eight million nine hundred eighty-eight thousand five hundred twenty. let's call it nine million and 14 million so there is something to suggest there that the patience of a lot of people listening to the adele album they press play on it listen to a few songs and then they kind of drop off as they go on and i can pretty much guarantee that any album you look up on spotify or any of these streaming services that will be what happens and that's why sequencing is important that's why so many albums are front-loaded you know and it's really rare to see albums that aren't front-loaded you know and, and all that kind of thing but that's why a lot of so many people just don't even bother getting to the end of an album mm. We also said last week that we predicted that Adele's album was going to be the biggest selling album of the year. Uh, I think we don't need to pat ourselves on the back too much it, that that has been proven uh, yeah, correct. Yeah, although although the speed at the, which it's happened is quite astonishing, well, isn't it? The fastest selling album in British history, apparently. 800,000 no. copies in the first week. Fucking Christ, that is, that is like mad. It. Yeah, I remember... Um, versus sold just shy of a million in the US in 1993 you know when people bought music mm. um and that Limp Bizkit beat it didn't it I think Limp Bizkit um Chocolate Starfish became the fastest selling rock records uh, I can't remember but at the time that was the record for the most amount of sales in one week and uh, yeah, but for 800,000 in the UK, of course, we should also bear in mind that that will be including streams because it's all done totally differently now. And that isn't actually 800,000 copies that have been like sold over a counter or sold over Amazon or whatever. I'm sure the physical copies will be far, far, far lower than that. Um, but it's still pretty astonishing. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, just to, to pick up on the versus thing, Chocolate Starfish and Hot Dog Flavor Water debuted at number one in the Billboard 200, selling 1,054,511 copies in the first week. 400 of those have been sold on the album's first day of release. The largest first week sales debut for a rock album in the United States since the Nielsen Stats sound scan began in 1991. So it beat right. Pearl Jam. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, does that make Limp Bizkit better than Pearl Jam? It's hard to argue against that, isn't it? I mean, that is, <laughs> seems like kind of. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say categorical, but more like scatological proof. That <laughs> <Limp Bizkit. laughs> oh, better than Pearl Jam. Uh, they're not, by the way. It's certainly scatological. That's what I think yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. Okay, so there you go. Well done, Adele. Well done, you. Congratulations. Um, uh, let's talk about the Grammys. Now, we're not going to talk about the Grammys in their fucking, like we usually go, oh, they should have done this. And they, well, I'm not surprised to do that. Broadly speaking, good to see Brandy Carlisle nominated for Album of the Year. You know, something I can get behind somewhat. Uh, metal category is fucking hilarious as usual. Joke. The rock category is even worse. 
I haven't. Se- I don't even think I've seen the rock category. Oh, it's fucking embarrassing. Who is it? Foo Fighters is one of the nominations. Let me bring it up. Oh, Amazing. No. Um, best rock performance: ACDC, Shot in the Dark, oh. Black Pumas, <laughs> Know You Better, which is a live session from Capitol Studio A. Chris Cornell, Nothing Compares to You. I fucking adore Chris Cornell, and that is a really nice cover, but it is a cover. Deftones, Oms, fine. Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. Making a Fire. Um, best Rock Song, Weezer, all my favourite songs. Kings of Leon, The Bandit. Mammoth, WVH, Distance. Paul McCartney, Find My Way. Foo Fighters, Waiting on a Wall. Best Rock Album, ACDC, Black Pumas, Chris Cornell, Foo Fighters, Paul McCartney. I mean, they, they, they've only listened to five albums, haven't they? Fucking ridiculous. Absolutely. I mean, pathetic. the metal one. 2022 and Rob Zombie's getting a fucking yeah. Grammy nomination. Yeah. And what is it about the new Dream Theater album that is so much different? For like, why is that Dream Theater album? Oh, no, Dream Theater definitely because they're so different from everything else that they've done before. <laughs> Unbelievable! Like, what is so good about this current Dream Theater album? I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm like Deftones. Yeah, fine. I guess you know that album is great mastodon getting a nomination i mean you know a gajira like yeah fine but anyway but all... I, I mean this is old news though isn't it the gra- yeah, grammys fuck up anyway. nominations that's old news but what's yeah. really worth talking about yeah so we did put that in for context because we're like yeah the grammys is still the grammys the grammy still goes out of its way to be rubbish pretty much pretty much most of the time but marilyn manson's been nominated for a grammy because of his feature and songwriting credit on Donda which is shortlisted for album of the year and he is in that list of contributors and you know he did contribute a bit of a song he's on the songwriting list he's on the record for about 20 seconds I mean he's also barely on the record like you can he's barely, barely yeah, fucking hear him he's hardly like front and center on that record in any way whatsoever as we discussed the first time i heard the song i didn't even hear his vocals i actually had to strain to listen to the to hear them personally yeah now it doesn't make sense to me this because i mean the grammys have come out sort of swinging i guess you'd say in the aftermath of, of it shall i read shall i read what the boss said in response yeah yeah sure go on uh who was this what's his name Harvey Mason Jr., the CEO of the Recording Academy. That's absolutely right. Uh, He said, they won't restrict the people who can submit their material for consideration. We won't look back at people's history. We won't look at their criminal record. We won't look at anything other than the legality within our rules of, is this recording for this work eligible based on date and other criteria? He added, if it is, they can submit for consideration. Fine. I mean, fine, right? But, in this particular instance, if they just didn't have Marilyn Manson's name in that list of nominees, in that list of people for that nomination, I don't even think Marilyn Manson would notice. I mean, I imagine he's got other things on his mind at the moment. At the moment, I would have thought so, yeah. He's got more things to worry about than not getting credit for the fucking... for, for going, open up the jail, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would give, like, nobody would give a fuck if his name was taken out of it. It would just make the whole, it would just make life so much easier for everyone. And yet there he is, there sitting is. there on the thing. I, 
I am I, I'm, I'm baffled by this, Renfrey. I am absolutely baffled by it. Because, you know, it's not Marilyn Manson's album. If it was like, oh, we've nominated Marilyn Manson's whatever, This Is Chaos for a Grammy, you would go, oh, fucking hell. Mm. That is a bold thing for the Grammys to do. And mm. obviously they haven't done that. Mm. That would be a really pretty ludicrous thing to do. I wouldn't put it past them, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, they haven't done that. But why he needs to be on this, thing, I, I just, I, I, I just... It's like they're going out of their way to piss people off. Well, I mean, their excuse is basically the way that we have always done this is we've always credited everyone who is involved and that's tradition and therefore that's the way it's going to remain. I mean, most people who want to uphold traditions are usually like racist, bigot twats. Um, so I couldn't really give a shit about tradition. I think it's a pretty pathetic defence. Particularly for like the... the irrelevant and minuscule contribution that he makes to this record oh yeah absolutely i mean of course the baby is also one of the nominees as a result because the baby is on it and he's had a lot of scrutiny for making those homophobic remarks uh louis ck has been nominated um who's you know had sexual misconduct things against him sexual misconduct stuff which is not as serious as Marilyn Manson's stuff. I think, mm -hmm. you know, some people will say stuff like, well, sexual assault is sexual assault. But actually, I think that's mm -hmm. a dangerous precedent to set because getting your dick out and masturbating in front of people is very, very different from the things that Marilyn Manson has been accused of. I'm quite glad you said that so that I didn't have to, to be honest, mate. But um, yes, I agree. No, I'm, but I think it's really, really dangerous when we all put it in the same category. There mm -hmm. are different degrees of these things. And that's not me going what Louis ck did is totally fine but to like say oh it's, it's it's the same thing no that's that's a dangerous rhetoric which should be absolutely obliterated and often isn't because a lot of people on the internet are fucking stupid yeah I, I do think it's also quite weird to nominate louis ck in a time where he is keeping his head right down is he i mean he's done a bunch of shows he's done a bunch of shows he's done a bunch he? he's done a bunch of shows but none of them are kind of available on streaming services or like mm. you know he's not going out and publicizing them they are very much being louis ck has become a sort of pariah in many ways in that he just promotes his shows on his website as far mm. as i'm mm. aware i mean I, don't, I haven't actually watched any of it but he's been keeping himself to himself so again you, know, you don't need to you don't really need to go out of your way to kind of pat him on the back so much, I would say. You really necessarily don't. in 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 this instance. I mean, you know, I've not I've not seen or heard anything Louis C.K. has done since he kind of vanished off of the the sort of mainstream published consciousness. And if he wants to release his specials and tour to people who want to see him, and he wants to just release it to them and have and and he's you know he's still making a fine living and i think like okay yeah you know there are people that are going to be like cool i'm happy morally to go and watch louis ck they can go and do that that's fine that's but choice. kind of dragging dragging him up and going there we go give him a grammy because it's really really good i'm a little bit like okay we don't necessarily need to elevate that person at present absolutely is sort of how i feel about it um i think this is the thing i mean before i move on to the other things that the grammys have done in the these nominations which are just fucking absurd I, mean, I said it many times on this show and i know that you have as well you know neither of us are really fans of awards ceremonies in any way shape or form uh, there are probably a few exceptions to that but even that i mean i'm struggling to think of any really um I could not give a flying fuck about award shows, basically. And I think in the main, you would say the same thing. But the Grammys, it's kind of irrelevant, our feelings on it, because the Grammys are 
one of the biggest award ceremonies in the world and therefore they have a responsibility when they nominate people for these things they are putting them under a spotlight and they are lauding them just a nomination is 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 lauding someone and going this is someone that we consider to be one of the best in their field this particular year and i think you're right it would have been so fucking easy to just take brian warner's credit off of donda or the baby's credit it would have been easy to do that but the fact that they stuck to their guns and gone no 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 this is how it's always been well there's a lot of things that have always been a certain way and we make progress and things change because we want them to be better which is you know what i was saying earlier about why i think tradition is often a load of fucking nonsense yeah and marilyn manson is just an absolute irrelevance to that record an irrelevance pointless completely pointless bringing him up into it at all and yeah you're right like you know do either of those two people need a grammy absolutely not like they've got bigger things to worry about frankly does anyone need a grammy i mean you know does anyone need a grammy (laughs) no one needs a grammy do they but i think for some people like i'd 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 like to see brandy carlisle win you know song of the year if brandy carlisle won it i'd go somebody's given her credit for writing a fucking great song and I'm glad that she's got that. And that probably would mean a lot to her. And would it mean more people would listen to her? Probably would, yeah. Probably yeah. would mean a lot of people would go, a lot of more people would listen to her. And I think they'd hear it and go, she's great. And often the Grammys give it to something which is like, you know, like when Lemonade lost to that Beck album and Beck was, that's an all right Beck album. Mm. An absolutely fine Beck album. So, yeah, you know, most of the time you do just go, it doesn't matter, like, whatever. But I think when something good wins, you go, well, that's good because I like that artist and a lot of people will now go and listen to them and check them out on the basis of the fact that they've won Song of the Year or or whatever. And that is about the grand scheme of how I'm like, oh, good. Which arguably is the only purpose of award ceremonies Mm. as far as I'm concerned. It was interesting looking at the Rolling Stone article about this, which I think is actually very, very good generally, but it was weird seeing Marilyn Manson and Louis C.K. together in the picture and i think that conflates i think that puts them together and in people's mind goes oh well what they have been accused of and what they have done that's the same thing and i think that's a really dangerous precedent to set because it isn't it fucking clearly is not the same thing in the slightest um just to talk about a couple of other things which i think are very important to address in terms of these ridiculous nominations Oh, we've wanged on about how, it, it, like, certainly in heavier music and stuff, a lot of music that the Grammys would completely and utterly ignore and wouldn't even probably wouldn't even know existed. But you know, the amount of women who are coming through and making amazing strides in rock music and and metal in particular, actually, I would say, no women were nominated in rock categories at all. And last year it was all women. Well, that's just fucking ridiculous. So they've they've they flip flopped on that so quickly. <laughs> that's so fucking stupid why we talk about the grammys i hate them so much um absolutely well we're talking about it pure, it's more for marilyn manson but we i think we just added that little bit of context like hey by the way yes the grammys have have done their usual trick i think I, they've, I, they've upped it this year they've upped it i think it's important to to say that as well though because i think that is an important thing to mm. establish and also the fact that there's and i think this is far more important in america where spanish language is and that spanish culture is a far bigger thing but no spanish language artists were nominated in the major categories at all which when you consider why isn't it something insane like a third of america speaks spanish or something like that um mm. that's kind of bonkers as well I, you know the grammys are stupid 
as per. But in this particular case, they've really like they've really gone like fucking you know radioactive bitten by a radioactive spider Grammys. This, this is like in- Incredible Hulk Grammys. They're like hulking up. <laughs> it's yeah. like the Grammys on steroids. Yeah. This particular year, you brought this up on the phone just prior to us recording this, and I very rudely interrupted you, and I went, "No, we're not talking about the Grammys. I'm sick of giving them airtime, basically, of any kind, because what they do is so stupid." And then when you mentioned the Marilyn Manson thing, I was like, oh, right, okay, we kind of have to talk about it, don't we? But as you can hear by my tone of voice, I'm fucking sick of, you know, the Grammys are the Robert Christogu of award ceremonies. It's it's this thing, this company, this, this organisation, which has this massive reputation as, like, one of the most revered of its kind. And actually, the reality is they are dumb fucking cunts who don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. And I think the fact that we do keep talking, no, you know, not not us, but people keep talking about them and revering them as something that's important. If we just ignored them, they would eventually, their, their power would eventually diminish and die and go away. So I do have kind of, that's why I'm kind of conflicted about talking these about these sorts of things. I do, you know, you're right. The Marilyn Manson thing does mean that like, we probably do need to talk about it, but I do get fucking sick of talking about this sort of shit because in terms of like what actually matters it's it's nothing it's a it's a fucking it shouldn't have any weight or value to it whatsoever just based on the nominations that they've had in the past and yet people continue to do that i think it is important to point this thing out to go why the fuck are the grammys doing this but yeah i get very very exhausted talking about this sort of bullshit for that reason he, he really <laughs> let's talk about you saw three bands Renfrey oh. Rolo Tomasi Mogwai and Sleep Token recently do the first two very briefly yes and then we'll talk about Sleep Token which inspired what we're going to talk about with Merlin yes in a so I have to confess um, Rolo Tomasi and Mogwai I saw last week and completely we, we had so much going on in the show uh, mm. last week that we, we just caught sort of nixed it but very very quickly I went down to Brighton to see Rolo Tomasi at a sort of hometown show I think three fifths of uh, Rolo Tomasi are based in Brighton now uh, and it was the first show for where the myths began comes memory and they've just announced that album and this is the first opportunity the first time that they've played since any of that material's been announced or come out they've released two singles so far both of which they played uh cloaks and drip both fantastic they played both of those songs uh drip basically sounds like you know that drone uh, in the terminator films the Skynet kind of mm-hmm. it uses that to a really oh, okay. awesome way. It's fucking great. Um, but they played uh, three new songs. They played those two and also a song called Closer, which is very reminiscent of Aftermath from uh, Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It. Very like cleanly sung. and I mean, Eva's clean vocals have really, really come on. You can tell that her confidence in those sorts of things is amazing. This was the first show Rolo Tomasi had played for two years. And Consequently, I've seen Rolo Tomasi a silly amount of times. I think this is the 18th or 19th time I've seen them live. And they've never disappointed me. But, you know, considering it was two and a bit years since they played and they were playing new material live, frankly, I expected them to be a little bit shaky. You know, not in a way that I would have criticised too much, but just, you know, it's the first time back. They were 
on fire. They were absolutely incredible. This is one of the best shows I've been to since shows have been back, I would say. I'd probably put it as level pegging with Biffy Clyro. And the crowd just went absolutely bonkers from the off. And considering they started with a song which is only like a few weeks old, I think that's pretty incredible. The material was mainly from Time Will Die and Love Will Bury It, as you would expect, but they played a couple of songs from um, Grievances as well. Um, and they were just absolutely brilliant. Like, I, I, I've said it many times before, I think Rotomassi are basically one of the best bands to ever come out of this country. How many bands are able to marry the chaotic math course frenzy of Dillinger Escape Plan with the cinematic ambience of Clint Mansell. You know, it's astonishing. I can't think of another band who honestly does that, really. No, not really. But are they still an Ipecac? Ip- Ipecac? They're not, are they, anymore? Uh, I don't... I mean, that was only in America, but um, I, right. I don't know, honestly. Um, because I don't think... There's not many... Ba- I just wanted to sort of chime in, because I don't think there's many, if any, British bands amongst their peers that would ever get even looked at by that record label. I don't think. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Just because Patton, Mike Patton's in charge and he likes some fucking weird shit, you know? <laughs> he does like some weird shit. And he likes it to be very artistically uh, specific to, you know, his particular... T- I feel that everything that gets on that record is very much Patton's bag. Yeah. So, I, you know, as much as we love someone like Palm Reader, I don't think he would get Palm Reader or employed to serve or someone like that i just don't think would get on Patton's label i certainly think Patton is probably looking for bands who have a very unique sound to them and rhoda tomasi undoubtedly have that and have had that for the majority of their career to be honest you know i mean yeah absolutely astonishing band playing an astonishing set mogwai another band who i absolutely adore i went down to kingston to see them um mm-hmm. in prism uh not in prison in a venue called prism <laughs> mm. and again absolutely fantastic really awesome to see material from as the love continues they played like six songs from as the love continues um and really really nice to see that material again mogwai are one of my favorites and i've seen them multiple times so i'm never not going to enjoy them they were a bit um they they, they weren't as tight and taut as well Massey, i'll be honest they, they were a little bit shaky on some of the material um, during Richie Sacramento, like Stuart was definitely having a few issues with his vocals and things like that, I think. Um, but yeah. overall, like it was a really, really, really good show and it really nice to see that new material live. They played Like Herod from Young Team. Um, and I mean, again, I've seen Mogwai a similar amount of times to the amount of times I've seen Ronald Tomasi, probably 20 odd. And I've not seen them play like Herod for a very long time, for a very, very long time indeed. And that was absolutely, oh, I, I could feel, I was on the balcony and I had my hands on the sort of rail on the balcony and I could, f- I could feel it shaking. I could feel the foundation shaking of the building. Yeah. But then at the same time, they then encore with New Past the Helicon Part 1. It's absolutely beautiful song and, you know, one of the quietest, most restrained things building into this absolutely beautiful, beautiful, awe-inspiring piece of music. I just love how dynamic Mogwai are and how dynamic they can be. I always say they are the loudest band I've ever seen live and the quietest band I've ever seen live. And there is something about you can't really appreciate a Mogwai show until you've been to it because as wanky as thing as this sounds like, you 
literally do feel the music because obviously music is just a vibration and the manner in which it hits you when it's loud you can literally feel it it's like a sonic punch to the solar plexus and Mm. there's very very few shows that i get that feeling at. i could probably name a handful of bands where that's the case and you just can't replicate that anywhere else not without neighbors complaining but yes, then a few days after that, I went to see Sleep Token uh, with A.A. Williams. I'm not going to talk about A.A. Williams too much because I've talked about A.A. Williams a lot live. But just to mm-hmm. say, she was fantastic as per. But it was awesome to see the Shepherd's Bush Empire felt full for A.A. Williams. And I'd say it felt full from the beginning of her set. And London in particular, you know this quite well, Steve. I mean, in terms of support acts often you'll turn up for a support act and the room's a third full or you know there's barely anyone there so it was really fucking cool to see loads of people turn out for a williams and you know at least half of them seem to really really enjoy her set the other half were just talking through it because uh, people need to learn how to shut the fuck up but i was just encouraged by the fact that there were so many people there and I've seen A.A. Williams multiple times but bar a couple of bar like seeing her art and stuff I haven't seen her play to thousands of people and to see that it worked and it wasn't even her crowd I thought was really really encouraging so that was brilliant um sleep token we have discussed a few times on this show and we've said like Mm-hmm. positive things said negative things about them we've had you know i remember going to see their second ever show um supporting perturbator at the eru and they were uh massively disappointing um and i've seen them be brilliant and i've seen them be pretty dull and ploddy um the, I'm really happy to report that the London show they were they were very 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 good but certainly in terms of how this band have become such a massive deal in such a small amount of time um, I, I think I say it in the interview that we did with Mal but this is a band who just prior to their second album coming out they sold out this show 2000 capacity show and it was part of a far larger UK tour as well. And for a rock band, let's just call them a rock band because some people were like, yeah. they're not a metal band. But for a rock no, no. band to do that in 2021 is really, really, really rare. And the sheer enthusiasm that people have for this band, it's very difficult when you're there to not be swept up in that. When people are kind of like, just before a big like guitar part comes in, you get you know 500 people just like screaming going yeah you know that bit in um in new noise when you get the crowd that that, like they put in that sample where everyone's like yeah to see that and feel that live it's really difficult to not get swept up in it and go this is pretty special and this is a pretty amazing moment i think what's interesting about sleep token is Nine times out of ten, when I do see them, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. It's the fans that make it more than the band, if I'm totally honest. And we'll go on to talk about like why that might be and things like that in a moment. But certainly, in terms of their progression and how big they could become, I see no reason why we can't... Like This could be the next ghost in terms of size and where they could go and ghosts have just, just announced, announced the, dates, the o2. o2 yeah 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 now will sleep token get there i'm not like putting any money on it e- either way yet but in terms of how the momentum's gone so far 
wouldn't necessarily bet against it. I mean, certainly, I think Sleep Token only formed five years ago. And Ghost, I mean, I did see Ghost at Brixton Academy, like maybe five years into their run, but that... 2012? Yeah, yeah, something like that. But that was a Jägermeister show, which was with Gojira, and the tickets were five quid. I think a lot of people turned up to that, and it wasn't sold out, and after Gojira loads of people left so I think it's also worth saying because what we're about to go and talk to talk about which is that Sleep Token have created a universe a world and that is incredibly important and I think to get onto what we're kind of focusing on with Merlin in our chat in a moment is that as a band most of the bands who are successful now do create not just a look not just a sound but an entire universe that surrounds them I think Sleep Token are definitely one of those bands and you can see how successful bands get when they really get that right mm. and undoubtedly as far as i can see sleep token get that stuff really right mm. i think that's fair i mean i've not even seen them live right mm. but i feel like just seeing pictures of them and you know the way that people talk about them and seeing you know bits of the way that the album gets presented and stuff and the fact that they don't do interviews and all these mm. kind of things like that is true we reviewed their second album and here's where i am a bit more cynical is that the ghost's first album was a, a great fun 70s smoky rock records mm-hmm. with some great lore around it right some real like loads of mystery and mythos that they started at that period and i thought it had some really good songs on it the jump then to infestesium or whatever mm-hmm. the second mm-hmm. album is is massive and i don't think sleep token have got anywhere near musically that level of the jump from album a to album b is undeniable with ghost it's a little bit more like mm. with sleep token i definitely think there is a jump and i expressed this when we reviewed it and yeah, also i think we both did yeah 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 i i, I definitely think and, and i mean it says a lot that they played predominantly material from that second record i would say i'm just gonna bring it up so they played eight songs from this place will become your tomb five from sundowning and then a couple from the eps so it was predominantly from the new record and i definitely think it is a better album i will say they did a 15 song set and as it went on i mean i i did find it getting quite samey as it went on if i'm totally honest not that i wasn't enjoying it as it was going on but i found it quite samey and i think there are that i had a few issues with some of the songs like um fall for me is that song which has basically it's like the boniver kind of rip-off thing um but just not done anywhere near as well they did play fall for me or rather you know vessel sang fall for me but it was really improved by the fact that they brought on these dancers who did this really expressive sort of interpretive dance during it. And it could have looked really crap, to be honest. And it could have been really like, this is very, very pretentious and artsy-fartsy and not very good. But actually, it was it was actually really, really good and quite emotional. And I still think that Fall For Me is a rubbish song, personally. But that performance of it was really quite powerful and really quite special. And I think it goes to show that, like, the individual elements of what Sleep Token do is nothing new. But 
when you put it all together into one package it does create something that you haven't really seen before and i think this is the, you know so often when people criticize bands like this that they will go oh well we've seen all these individual elements before and it's like yeah but you haven't seen them done in this way before and i ha i have to admit there is uh, when i take the elements separately you know i i whilst i like this place will become your tomb i've not listened to it all that much to be totally honest with you because the music separately by itself i like it but it doesn't have a massive emotional impact on me but done live with all these additional bits and pieces that they're putting in it suddenly does have quite an emotional impact on me and and certainly with the crowd who are just absolutely lapping it up and loving it like i say it's really difficult not to get caught up in that and um yeah i mean as we're going to discuss the reason for bringing this topic to the show this week is i think i think we need to appreciate now more so that breaking things down and looking them at their individual elements that's kind of missing the point sometimes i think you know is seeing them live going to make me go back to the record more I i'm not sure if it is i haven't gone back to it since i saw saw them uh, and we're doing this a few days later four or five days later but i can't deny it was a really incredible show in lots of ways i used to get really annoyed with the amount that they kind of emoted on the stage because it felt really really fake to me but i had a bit of a realization as i was watching it on saturday that of course they've got masks on so of course they have to emote in a ott fashion i found it really fake before but now i see it as more theatrical it just depends what way you look at these things it depends if you're looking at it glass half full or glass half empty it's easy to be cynical about this stuff but if you are cynical about it you might mess out on something that's actually you know really good um yeah. and i've wavered with sleep token a lot you know I, i've when i've seen them and thought they were disappointing i've moaned about how much track they have that is getting better uh they still have a fair amount of track it must be said but you know that stuff is getting better and they are doing more stuff on piano and stuff like that like it's at a level where i probably wouldn't bother to complain about it anymore i think but yeah it provoked a very interesting sort of feeling in me in in like how important are creating these worlds and these images and how important it has become for bands in order to break through and become absolutely massive because and i do think this is missing the point but if sleep token didn't have that image and that uh, and all the the worship stuff and all that things around them would they have sold out shepherd's bush empire of course they wouldn't have done of course they wouldn't no. have not on the music alone but i also think that if you use that as a criticism, that is kind of missing the point. So anyway, we did reach out because me and Renfrew, we, uh, we, as you are listening to this right now, you know, we, we work on a audio medium. So the sound of stuff and often the, the law and all these things that we've been talking about or that are relevant to sleep token are kind of less relevant to us, I guess, but they are not irrelevant to our good friend Merlin at metal hammer magazine so we thought we'd reach out to him and see how he felt about the idea that bands have to have some sort of strong image behind them these days what he likes and the challenges that face somebody working in a visual medium particularly magazines at this time in music in and amongst the current scene that we have going on here in rock and metal so this is what happened all right we're here and delighted to be joined by my friend, your friend, our friend, everybody's good friend, Merlin Alderslade, 
of the Metal Hammers magazine. Our boss, basically, aren't you, Mel? Essentially, that's what you are. Basically. Oh, come on. I prefer the term <laughs> commissioning editor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, friend. Sorry, Fine. friends. Definitely friend. Fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely friend. Friend first, commission editor second. Probably the humour third, I would say. I would say, yeah. Into office quotes. Thanks um, for having me on, fellas. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you for no coming worries. on. Yeah, we really appreciate this, Mel. Thank you. Well, we thought it'd be an interesting thing to get your perspective on it because you work very much in more of a visual medium than Renfrey and I do for the most part. I mean, obviously, we do contribute to the magazine, so we have sort of some sort of idea about how that works. But probably, I would say, with us working on a podcast, which is 95% an audio medium, things like how bands look and their image and stuff, we can kind of... We can, I think we can kind of skirt around that if it's a band that we really, really love. I think before we get into that first, though, what I was going to say to you, Merle, is what is it in your mind personally, before we get into your professional opinion on stuff, what is it in your mind that you as a music fan are drawn to by a band? Is there a kind of hard and fast rule for you personally where you're like, that's a band that just looks cool? Do you know what I mean? What would that kind Starting of Starting with the easy questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you just mean visually? Well, no, like when anything that you found kind of attractive about a band, which is before their music, I guess. Uh, man, that is hard. I mean, I guess I would just have to think about the bands that I've got excited about over the last few years and think what well, you can kind of thematically link to all of them. Just like, just something that makes them genuinely feel unique. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a quote unquote gimmick. I mean, if it's a good gimmick, then it helps, you know, bands like, I mean, for me, having just announced their big tour today, Ghost is like the obvious example of a band that have really excited me musically, visually, creatively, showmanship wise, they kind of tick all the boxes because they genuinely feel like nothing else that's in the music scene right now. And I think even if I wasn't an editor looking for potential bad spot on the cover and to push and everything else, I think I would be a very, very big ghost fan. Um, so, you know, they're really unique for that reason, but then Code Orange are just as unique in their own way because they do have a, they have a bit of an image, but it's much more subtle and it's more kind of linked to a more kind of grounded part of the metal scene, but it's still, they're still very visually evocative. They've got huge personalities. You can feel that personality in their music as well. So they're really unique and exciting in one different way. And then it's kind of another end of the scale. You could have a band like Power Trip, who um, I, I think kind of a lot of the heavy lifting of what made that band interesting was obviously Riley. And that was because he was just a really interesting, uh, I wouldn't really say enigmatic, but really kind of electric, exciting character. Um, and I don't know if that band would have had quite the same zest to them if it wasn't for his involvement with them. So for me, I think it's just about, especially in the rock and metal scene where in metal, you've got such a kind of specific set of rules for what is kind of allowed in our scene and what is considered metal in our scene. I think something that still kind of fits within that mold, but feels genuinely unique and exciting and different for whatever reason. Like I said, it could be because they dress a certain way. It could be because the way they are in their interviews, it just needs to have something that drags it up from just being a great band. I love great bands as well. If a band's just really good at being a band, that's great too. But I always as a fan will be slightly more attracted to the bands that feel like they've got 
just a little bit more about them, I think, for whatever reason that is. Riley's a really interesting one, actually, I think, because that to me is a really good example of not even a band, but an individual who, you know, Riley didn't dress any differently, but just the way he carried himself. I mean, I remember took, the first time I spoke to him was 2013. And you could tell just from him being on the phone, he just had something about him which was so far away from just the the way that a lot of people who were front men in, in bands or, you know, the kind of driving forces in essentially, you know, kind of hardcore thrash metal band. But Riley just had this thing about him. And it is like, it's... You wouldn't call it a gimmick and you wouldn't call it an image, but there's an aura about some people that just charisma that you can't really yeah charisma that you just can't put into words i think you said it when we were, we were chatting about this before me and me and you mel like kind of away from this and you said you can't actually explain what charisma is it just is isn't mm. it it's just a, mm. it's just a thing that just exists with some people yeah you can't really condense it down into ingredients that you can sit and list off but when you meet someone who's incredibly charismatic you just know it you just see it it's there um and uh, yeah, Riley's a really good example of that. And again, it could, that kind of, it's something that pulls back, you know, you look at a band like Killswitch Engage, like you can't really break down their ingredients musically in a way where you can really explain why they're just better than all the other metalcore bands that came up with them. Um, there's no real logic to that. If you kind of just broke down everything that makes up Killswitch Engage, you could apply that to a hundred other bands that were around the scene at the same time, but there's just something in that band. There's a bit more charisma. There's a bit more to them. There's a bit more emotional pull. They've obviously got a lot of personality in the band, courtesy of Adam D. Um, and it just it just sets them aside, I think. Um, so it's hard to put a finger on what it is with bands that, that elevates them in that sense. But once you find one, you know it. Yeah, it's true. I feel like um, in uh, looking back at rock's and um, metal's heyday, 80s, 70s, that charisma thing that we're talking about, obviously there are examples of bands who come through and are able to do it more on charisma than image. But I feel like image is becoming more and more and more important if you want to break really big. When I think of the bands who really are beginning to break through, I mean, this topic kind of came about because I went to see Sleep Token on Saturday. And I think... Sleep Token's rise is one which has been really very meteoric, very, very quick. Um, And I think a lot of it comes down to that image. That's not to say that I don't think they have good songs as well, because I I do. I I am actually a fan of Sleep Token, but I I certainly think uh, it's very unusual for a band, uh, a a metal band, a rock band, whatever we're going to call Sleep Token, to sell out a 2000 cap venue in London on as part of a massive UK tour before their second albums even come out. Do you think it's fair to say that image has become more important if you want to become super, super big within the world of metal and rock music? I I would say no more, not particularly more important than it has been for a long time, to be honest. I mean, you look at the band's I mean, I'd say, I'd say for at least the last 25 years, most of the bands that have made it big on any meaningful level in metal, from Slipknot to Marilyn Manson to Korn to, you know, you know, Pantera have an image. Do you know what I mean? Like it might be, it's not like a gimmicky image, but it's still an image that, I mean, it certainly felt like a very distinct image in light of what metal had been kind of doing up to that point at that time. Um, 
you know, new metal birthed a million bands that made it big for a second because they had a big image, even if some of that was probably a bit more. I don't know if it is even cynical, really. I think that's just kind of what the fashion was in metal at the time, and that and that reflected that. Um, you know, Avenged Sevenfold had a really cool image that that elevated them above above um, many of their peers. Waking the Fallen, they had a very strong image, I think. That kind yeah, of but and I would say they probably actually elevated their image after that because around Waking mm. the Fallen, they kind of looked like they had one step in the kind of more emo-y side of things. And more kind of seen things and one step in the metal things and then they kind of elevated to looking like fucking rock stars mm. and once they once they elevated to that level i think that really carried them forward so i don't know if it's more important now than it has been for a long time i think i think uh i think if anything really it's you could probably say it's more um maybe it's even more widely uh reflected in other genres as well i mean you think about artists like Lady Gaga and Rina Sawayama and um, you know there's uh, numerous hip-hop artists I could name as well like the whole kind of mumble rap scene and all the you know the, the generation of rappers that just were just covered in tattoos and had all these crazy coloured hair do you know what I mean like I think that whole thing of just looking different and interesting is always going to lend itself to the visual side of music I think the the key thing always whatever generation we're talking about is you've got to be fucking good to back it up because if not you're just necro goblin <laughs> yeah, that's true. i don't know i mean i i think it's even i think it almost kind of goes beyond image a little bit at this point as well because i think if you look at the bands you take the two bands who we just were talking about sleep token but we also mentioned creeper as well who were another of this decade sort of big successes in in rock music it's not just that creeper and sleep token have very strong images for the way that they look they have a kind of a law and a mythology around them they have things that are they're almost beyond beyond bands i mean like you say pantera had a very strong image if you like heavy metal these are your guys pantera like look at them they're repping for old school heavy metal and that kind of became an image via anti-image i guess if you like and then, yeah, new metal was a lot of following fashions and trends, but I wouldn't uh, of and how metal was sort of evolved and coalesced with like dance culture and hip hop culture and all that kind of stuff, more pop culture. But I think this is the first time really where you would look at bands and go, this is, you almost need to have more than just a strong image and strong music. You almost have to have all this other stuff, which like a mythos almost or yeah a like, vision, i yeah. mean again mm. ghost ghosts are a really obvious example of that look at look you know ghosts aren't just a band who wear funny hats <laughs> do you know what i mean they've got they've got a whole story behind them and I, I feel like the bands that have that are the bands that are really and that's that that does feel like quite a new thing for the past should we say decades yeah, I yeah. think that's a really fair point, actually. You know, you look at baby metal, like no one quite mm. understands what their mythology is half the time, but it's definitely there. And uh, Ghosts are definitely the best example of that. Um, and I think Sleep Token are probably the obvious next example of that as well in terms of building something that's more than the sum of its parts. So yeah, maybe that is a relatively new thing. I mean, again, you know, you could, you could link to other artists in the past where you would pour over certain symbology in there. Uh, you know the lyric sheets and um and the you know album inlets and stuff 
or um, the kind of world building they do as well. I don't know if it's a totally new thing, but I guess the internet has probably made it easier to kind of investigate and consume and engage with the worlds that these artists build because they can leave those little kind of like treasure trails for people to really uh, steep themselves in it all. Um, so yeah, you're probably right actually, Steve. It probably, that, that kind of side of it has probably accelerated quite a lot in the last few years. Mm. I, I, I do think so. I think the kind of idea that you need to be more than just a musical act, even if it's a musical act with quite a strong way that you look, I think, you know, that whole thing of bands, bands as brands, and I think this kind of this is what um, I guess where we're getting onto with your professional opinion, Merle. Um, I know from our kind of various chats and stuff that the kind of the agonising over you kind of trying to sell a magazine and you kind of wanting it to just look. You know, you said something to me once where you were like, I want someone to see Metal Hammer on the shelf and go, fucking hell, what's that? I'm going to pick that up because I'm interested in it. And there are bands who are great bands who might not inspire that kind of feeling about someone. So I guess sort of just talk us through how difficult it is to kind of balance that seesaw for you guys. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, look, if there's a band out there who there's just an undeniable like major movement going on for them and it's you just can't kind of deny how, uh, you know, the kind of swell of interest in them and, and it's clear that, you know, we'd be idiots if we didn't cover them in a major way. We were always trying to find a way of bringing the most out of what we got to work with. Um, but it's just an undeniable fact that, as you said at this, the start of this segment, Steve, you know, magazines are still a very visual medium. And that medium, in terms of the, you know, Metal Hammer is a very multifaceted brand now. We approach all our different, you know, platforms and everything in different ways. But certainly for the magazine, it starts with the cover. And if you don't have something that's going to grab someone's attention on that cover, in whatever way you do that, it's it's going to have an instant knock-on effect on uh, the the impact of that cover, commercially, editorially. Um, you know, it it needs to it needs to really pop when it's sat there on a newsstand. Even now, still, I know magazines are a, a, you know are not a booming industry anymore. But you go into any WH Smith, there's still dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds of magazines that you're competing for people's attention with. Um, even just in the music sector, there's still quite a few out there. Uh, and so, you know, it's a fact that a magazine cover has to look good. And unfortunately, if you've got a brilliant band, but they don't, uh, especially a young band who people haven't maybe heard of so readily, not everyone's plugged into Metal Twitter, not everyone's plugged into Spotify, not everyone is, you know, a band that might seem massive because of the discourse online, might be completely new to someone walking past them in a shop. Um, if you put a band on the cover and they just, I'm not even going to say the band looks boring. If the cover looks boring, no one's winning there. You're not helping the bands. You're not helping the magazine out. Um, you're kind of getting everything off to a pretty shit start. So obviously it's inevitable that if you go and see a band live, for instance, the one I come to quite a lot at the moment is Twin Temple because, you know, they're not even a metal band. They're a band that does like doo-wop music. And yet the first time I saw them live, it wasn't just the fact that they had a stage show, it's that they looked fucking amazing. It felt like there was more to it than just a bit of a lazy gimmick. They felt earnest in the way they presented it. And you could just tell that people were like insane for this band. Like, you know, people were, the queue for the merch booth was mad. Um, mm. And 
you just look at something like that and it is obviously going to impact you in a way slightly more than just seeing a bunch of dudes in you know slayer t-shirts or whatever hammering out however well they might do it hammering out the same riffs you've heard someone play a million times that's just the that's just the reality of of you know making an impact on someone um, now again that doesn't mean that there isn't just as much opportunity for someone that just looks like us three to all be on the cover of metal hammer but it just means you kind of you've got to work smartly around that to, to really bring the best out of it all the thing about twin temple is that i mean you know like i barely really listen to their music right but as an elevator pitch satanic do what yes great even before you've got into the minutiae of what their music sounds like even before you've heard that satanic do what you get that right you get the look of that right and people are clearly going to go what because it's mm. just you know before i'd even seen a picture of them and people were like oh there's this sort of satanic doo-wop band called twin temple and i was like well that sounds really really interesting that just sounds really interesting and then when they present it like the way that they have like one foot in the 50s and one foot in you know kind of got 80s gothic occult satanism occult yeah. thrash whatever what a fucking brilliant idea mm. and it, it makes you know like it, people there's plenty of bands of people go, oh, have you heard this and you go what is it you know, they're like a tech metal band oh, okay another one okay but that's really fucking hard that's mm. really fucking hard to come up with okay you know like a completely new musical idea that just lends itself so brilliantly to an image mm. and to throw back to my original point when i was watching it like yes you can make you know obviously they sound like amy winehouse for instance like you can hear her go, oh i've heard this before musically and mm. you can look at the way they world build and kind of have this kind of nudge nudge wink wink approach to kind of you know, introducing satan into your life and you can say oh that kind of reminds me of what ghosts do but actually as an overall package it doesn't feel like anything i've quite seen before and that mm. is the key like and that can just come from music sometimes the best stuff does but when it comes from music and everything else put together then it just it feels exciting that really struck me watching Sleep Token on Saturday. I was thinking all of the individual elements here. I've seen all of the individual elements before, but I haven't seen them wrapped up in this package. And I think that's actually what makes people excited, isn't it? And and, mm. and actually, just to, to extend what you were saying there, Steve, I think it's not just image now, it's concept as well. So I remember when I first heard about Twin Temple, it, it was genius of them to name that debut album twin temple bring you their signature sound satanic doo-wop because you hear satanic doo-wop and you go what the fuck is that what is that what does that sound like and until you've heard it you can't imagine what it sounds like i i would say uh, in terms of a concept rather than an image i think zealand kind of had that thing as well to a degree where it's like what the fuck is that you know chain gang music mixed with blackmail what the fuck does that sound like and you can't you can't even imagine it until you get, you know, until until you listen to it. So image and concept are becoming kind of married in this quite interesting way that I'm not sure if we've seen before, really. Mm. Zillanada is a really good example. Yeah, I mean, again, Zillanada, that second record is, that's a concept album. You know, it's a concept album of a concept that nobody's ever done before. I mean, not only do they have the, that, idea of melding those two things together they've also married it with that you you know it actually places you into a specific time period and goes 
imagine if that was like that imagine if this thing that we know about now was happening then whilst all the, you know imagine if the slaves decided that rather than singing about god they would uprise and do a satanic ritual what a fucking brilliant idea you know it sounds mm. like a sounds like a, a bloomhouse film doesn't it do you know what i mean it's like something that could have been uh, an actual horror film and yet uh, and it's so i think people you know there are a lot of people who might be listening who are very very big music fans who go i don't need this i just like music but most people the majority of people want to have something that makes them go oh okay and then they can just get straight away and i think that's if you are just five blokes in t-shirts and you make really good music that's great but i think when the bands you really think about all the other things they don't have to you know zelanada don't dress weird or you know they don't come on all chained together or anything like you know what i mean there's no kind of particularly huge visual aesthetic for them they just look like a band they did experiment with cloaks for a short period of time yeah. but that disappeared quite quickly yeah yeah, yeah. haven't we all yeah um you got stuff to ask him well, well, just yeah by extension to something that we were just talking about 10 minutes ago um i hope this isn't uh peeking behind the curtain too much and if you know you be, feel free to plead the fifth amendment if uh, if we're going too far <laughs> into things here Mel. but when you are considering a cover for metal hammer in 2021 or since 2016 since you've been editor of the magazine what things do you need to consider well it's just a combination of everything we've talked about really i mean um you know uh, i guess the the old um catchphrase there's no smoke without fire comes into it there's got to be a reason for doing it it can't just be like we like this band do you know what i mean like if that which was the case Ho- then hollywood yeah 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 sorry come on sorry. which is why what well i thought you were gonna... i i slightly missed i understood what you were saying i was like about sad that's why hollywood undead are never going to get on the cover because just because they've, <laughs> they've got an image like no one not no one likes them but very few people like no, Hollywood I'm, Undead, you know, they, they've the actually way. stripped their image away. To be fair to Hollywood oh, they? Undead, they've oh, actually taken that. the masks off at this point. I mean, I didn't know, you know that they were just blokes with half a mask on. It wasn't much of a, <laughs> but they've kind of got rid of that now, haven't they? So you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, 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 now I was, I was, um, I was coming at it from the from an, another point of view, as in there needs hmm. to be uh, when I say something they'd start with. I don't mean a gimmick. I mean there needs to there needs to be some kind of excitement around them. There needs to be a yes. buzz. Um, which can, which, you know, normally will come from the music first anyway, a lot of the time. Um, so there needs to be a buzz around the band. It can't just be like, oh, we've heard this band we liked and they're going on the cover because as much as that would be great, it's not, it's not my magazine in the sense of like, you know, it's not the Merlin show. I can't just put every band I love on the cover. Otherwise I could sit here and name uh, 200 bands that would have been on the cover now and probably sold fuck all on newsstand and got us in a lot of trouble. Um, so there needs to be a buzz there there needs to be a kind of real reason for doing it and that could be because you just can't hide from the fact that there are a major um, you know force in the in the kind of modern metal scene it could be because we can envision a kind of long-term uh, rise for them like the first time I saw the yeah, go back to Twin Temple again this also the first time I saw Twin Temple live I could just see the cover happen before my eyes you know what i mean like if i look yeah. at a band and i can just visualize a metal hammer cover from straight away i think that's a really good sign because it means they've just got their shit in check and they're like yeah. they know what the how they want to project themselves again it could be just looking cool 
in a kind of more natural rock star way. It could be more gimmicky, it could be whatever. But if I look at a band early on and I can just straight away visualize a cover for them, that's normally a good sign. And lo and behold, we have an opportunity a year later when we did four split run covers earlier this year and Twin Temple were one of them. And the cover looked fucking great. I think it was my favorite of the four that we ran. Um, so yes, there needs to be enough of a visual element where you can picture it working on a cover that doesn't need mean that you could just be a metalcore band and you suddenly need to start playing in like clown costumes or something <laughs> like it, it just you just need to look cool code orange we haven't we've had jamie on the cover a couple of times but we, i could easily envision code orange being on the, on the cover of metal hammer one day because they just look fucking cool they're not they don't look super gimmicky they just look cool and it works um so yes you have to take in the visual side of things in terms of how that will look if they do just look like a bunch of lads then maybe you work out another way maybe they've got like a really grand sweeping concept behind the music that you can tie into something that's illustrative or molded in a different way for a cover that that could be another way of looking at it but there has to be something you can work with visually or help build off visually um because you know like i said it's a cover something's got to go on it so mastodon could be an example of that for example like they're just a group of people really but they usually have some kind of concept around their albums which you can build something that looks cool yeah exactly we did the uh we've, we've done illustrative covers with mastodon we did a cover that was quite tied into the emperor of sands idea on the last album um uh so yeah that works um you know if a monomath weren't a viking metal band it would probably be a bit harder to make a fun looking cover with them as it is they're a viking metal band so we can yeah, get yeah, yeah. johan Hegg done up as a game of thrones as viking king and it looks badass um that's obviously very specific and gimmicky again but you know you look at the four again i'll go to the four young band covers we did this year we did twin temple which i've kind of talked about a lot we did Highlung, who mm -hmm. again I mean, I had no reference point for anything like that in the metal scene 10 years ago. I don't know if you two did. Like, people with, like, antlers doing this tribalistic, earthy, pagan music. Like, there was nothing like that going on. And they look fucking amazing. Um, so that worked really well. Um, but then we had Alien Weaponry, who are actually just three dudes that play metal. There's nothing, um, you know, I know they've got their kind of, uh, their country's musical influences in their sound. Um, but to look at there's nothing particularly gimmicky or, or stand out here about them uh, so we did something fun with flares and everything else and it looked really cool and, and we worked around it that way um and off the top of my head i've forgotten who the fourth one was which is not great but yeah we did four <laughs> and they were all good <laughs> It's probably, uh, I don't want to pick on anyone. I think what you do in those January issues, and it's becoming a regular thing where you get four new acts or four up and coming acts and sort of spread them across the covers. Like that that's probably, is it fair to say, the only way a band like Alien Weaponry could get on a cover like that at the moment? I hope that's not sounding too harsh to them. I'm not trying to pick on them or anything like that, but just as an example. No, it's not at all. I mean, if they continue, look, like none of those bands are big enough right now to justifiably mm. put on a cover like Metal Hammer because, you know, we live in a climate with magazines where three or four real bombs on the newsstand can be a real problem for you. Yeah. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a third of your sales in the year. Um, so you do have to be really careful. But if that, weaponry... that, can, that can totally break the magazine, can't it, basically, in these times. If you have three, four bombs in a row, you, in theory, you that could be it right is that i wouldn't 
I don't know if it, I mean it, it would have a really really it could have a really bad knock-on effect because you know okay. it, when you have a you know you kind of take things year by year in most yeah. okay. in most cases with magazines so you would look at that overall year as a whole but if you did have three or four really bad uh, results in a row like that you would obviously be under immense pressure to get three or four really good results straight off the back of that unfortunately sure. you know the magazine is only one of our revenue streams now we do great things with things like bundles and merchandising the website is more successful than ever um you know the magazine is just one of the ways in which hammer exists now so the pressure isn't on the brand in quite the same way it would have been 10 15 20 years ago from that perspective um and it was it was the who by the way who were the fourth cover who are probably That's might it. be the biggest yeah. out of all of those bands and mm. again like those are just dudes who dress in this kind of traditional uh, Mongolian and um, kind of almost like warrior looking fair and they all just look badass and and you know it's not something you're used to seeing on the cover of Metal Hammer so it just works so those are four very very distinct very very different young bands uh, none of the reasons those four bands are on the cover are all related to each other um, but I think it just goes to show that it's becoming an increasingly exciting and diverse young metal scene now um, and I think the way we can work with covering bands is changing um so yeah i can't remember what the original question was now but ah, I, I don't, no that's great that's fantastic <laughs> the, last, the last the last thing i want to ask you mel is is um because it's something that me and renfrey will probably be talking about in the remainder of this podcast where do we in terms of how bands present themselves going forward i mean the world is only going to become more and more catered to each person's own individual needs you know bands that you know we with the, the the tiktok generation whatever you want to call it who you know are less interested in actual musical artists and more interested in the the dances you can make from the songs of those and the people that do the dances to those songs i think like we've already said most bands that really get it whether it's takeshi 69 in hip-hop or lady gaga or creeper they get the fact that they have to do more than just release records. You have to do more than that. How much further do you think that goes into, say you're the editor of Metal Hammer a decade from now, what kind of bands do you think will be the ones that will be thriving in that in those circumstances? I mean, fuck knows, because you just don't know what's going to happen. That's <laughs> the thing. The whole, the whole thing could eat itself and it could revert back to everyone's obsessed with just, you know, average looking women like and men grunge. in there uh, yeah. well yeah or something so, like grunge exactly like grunge something things, like yeah. grunge it could do something like that you know we could mm. see uh, uh you know music is often cyclical we could see a kind of snapback against that and it could be back to you know what it was in the kind of mid-2000s when it was like lamb of god and that was like mm. the face of metal and those are just a bunch of dudes that play fucking good heavy metal and that's all they really need to be it could mm. it could come back around to that again um you know, all I, all I do think, all I will think is that, um, that uh, you know, technology continues to grow our pace, social media continues to evolve. And I think the ways in which bands can manifest their vision, they've got more um, opportunities and platforms to do that than ever. So I think, I don't want to say it's easier for bands to come up with really interesting ways to do things differently because it's such a challenge for, for rock and metal bands now. But... I just think the opportunities are there. If you want to create your own world, 
I mean, you can really do that now. Look at what bands are doing with virtual reality and stuff, uh, their streams and things like that. It's crazy what you can do now. So I, I don't know where it will go, but I think the bands that are fearless, it, this has been the same thing forever, whether you're a grunge band or a thrash metal band or Twin Temple or whatever. If you have a vision and you believe in it and you are fearless in, in following that path, I think those are always the bands that end up lasting the distance in the long run. True. Any last comments you'd like to make toward or regarding this, Renfrey? Just uh, this is more a comment than a question. But just when you were saying that, it occurred to me that with all the tools that are available to bands now, you can make your marketing creative. You know, you can create a fictional book based on uh, as Creeper did uh, for their first album campaign, which is about you know these murders down in Southampton that never actually happened and 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 I think rather being something to to look at it and be cynical about that's something that can be really really interesting provided bands utilize it in in an interesting creative way uh, which is more a comment really but that occurred to me as you were saying what you're saying at the end there Mel which um mm. yeah I, I think that's awesome those are some fantastic insights thank you so much for joining us Mel that's absolutely brilliant yeah no cheers mate. thanks for coming on thanks for having me cheers very much let's do it again soon we didn't stitch you up too much did we <laughs> well I'll find out in the edit <laughs> <laughs> And there we go. There was our chat with Metal Hammer editor Merlin Alderslade, and we thank him for coming on the show and speaking to us. So, Steve, let's get this underway in the broadest sense possible. Why do you think so many bands are adopting an image and creating a law around themselves at the moment? Because everybody who is successful kind of has to, particularly in rock and metal, have to utilise that. Creeper are the example that we brought in from recently. I would say Ghost have just sold out Sorry, never sold out. They just announced a gig, I should say, sold out. Fucking hell, I bet they wish they were going to sell out the O2, but we'll see, I guess. But Ghost have announced a date at the O2, which is massive. Absolutely massive. 18,000. Slipknot have become the only really them and Avenged Sevenfold. And you could argue Avenged Sevenfold have a very, very strong image as well. There's something about Avenged Sevenfold, which is very Avenged Sevenfold, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's only Avenged Sevenfold. And the other band as well, who we haven't mentioned yet from kind of rock and metal as well, Five Finger Death Punch. Love them or hate them, Five Finger Death Punch look like a fucking cartoon. Yeah. They look like G.I. Joe's, don't they? Like real life G.I. Joe's, like something from Captain Planet. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they, they look and and they have set themselves up we're going out everything's about war and the army and the military and they go out to the and you know they have set very very tight boundaries as to what they are and what they do and you can sneer at it and you can look at it and go oh that's fucking rubbish it's embarrassing and blah 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 as i have and do <laughs> uh, yeah i mean we both we both we both, we have, both yeah. do you know but you can't deny that people know exactly what they are they know what they are whereas some bands like you know i mentioned that band imminence earlier who've got an album out is that album better or worse than the last five finger death punch album i mean it's not i would say it's probably compositionally worse but if you put them side by side next to each other i'd go yeah you know they're both things that i'm not really that interested in one of them is five finger death punch the other one is some bunch of Swedes or Norwegians or Danish, I don't know, they're from Scandinavia. 
in black t-shirts with mm. sort of sweepy haircuts like every other fucking band mm. and i just think you you can't be like that anymore if you want to be successful right let's i'm not going to say you can't be good or whatever without this sort of shit going on but you certainly can't be successful to the level of of which the sleep tokens and creepers and yeah etc etc have been yeah that's not going to happen on the strength of your music at the moment i think it's important to define success in this sense as commercial you know like commercially Mm. big um appealing to a a great deal of people Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah people need to look at you and know what you are when I think back to when I was first, because, you know, we can say, like, oh, this has become quite a new thing. Obviously, it goes in waves and whatnot. When I first started thinking about music and listening to music and caring about music, that was in the 80s when when I turned on Top of the Pops, fucking Frankie goes to Hollywood on Top of the Pops. Do you know what I mean? Like, you would, you'd be like, these people don't even seem real to me. You know, Frankie goes to Hollywood had this unbelievably ott you know (laughs) leather daddy image thing that was going on this kind of part yuppie part leather daddy thing and it felt dangerous and it felt and it but it was so clearly defined even though i didn't really understand it i looked at it and went i don't know what this is but it's really cool you know the cure i used to look at robert smith and go is that guy he's a vampire right is he some sort of vampire um you look at someone like Nick Cave and you're like, you are some tall, gothic, loungy gentleman. And his music sounds like that. Mm. And he speaks and acts and, you know, and so I think that obviously image has always been a huge, huge part of music, but it's only been recently in the last sort of 10 years or so, I think, where it's not just the look and the music that has to match up. It's all the other things that you can do as a band because... You can't really afford to be like i don't know fugazi or something and go we're just not going to play the game and we're going to keep ourselves well if we're not going to do interviews we're not going to let you know who you are and our, our music will do the talking that is really really difficult to be able to do today really really difficult and i can't think of many bands from kind of almost any genre where i don't look at them and i go you stand out idols do idols stand out massively uh the 1975 do all of those rappers you know the the takeshi six nines and the you know travis scotts and uh the tyler the creator and people like that they all massively stand out as certain individuals with all kinds of other where things where you go you look at them and you go that's what their artwork looks like that's what they look like that's kind of what their music sounds like this is a world that they themselves have created I think there's a big thing we talked about um charisma and how there's a lot of bands in the 80s and 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 the 80s in particular but even the 90s who had these big characters and it was the charisma of rock stars that kind of pushed them through and made them very very big whether it's a Dave Lee Roth character or or whoever and then there would be bands who if they didn't have a big load of charisma they would adopt a mascot so Iron Maiden for example, you know, Iron Maiden on their own, particularly pre-Bruce Dickinson, didn't really have that big... Anyone in that band had, like, massive amounts of charisma or anything like that, certainly in the initial incarnation. So they invented Eddie, and I think I, I think Iron Maiden are a massive success because they wrote amazing songs as well. 
but I think um, Eddie had a lot to do with them becoming because they had that iconography that they could refer back to. You see an Iron Maiden album in the in the on the. I mean, I used to see the Iron Maiden all the like, Bat Hell by Meatloaf. You see that and you go, yeah. "Holy fuck! What is that? What is that? What that's is all that? you know about it." Whereas now, obviously, it's harder to keep you just being known for that art. When you know, a art works a thumbnail on a phone most of the time. Now. Yeah, so, you know that is harder to do. But that was definitely a way to to kind of make up for that lack of you know a you know a dave gahan or an, an annie lennox or a, a, an ozzy osbourne do you know what i mean it definitely was yeah yeah and it, it's been very um i mean i think both of us have because you know we, we've we've become cynical at points and i well, become i mean maybe always have been i remember you know the very very first time i saw slipknot i thought they looked like a joke and and that was before i heard the music it took me ages to get into ghosts because initially i saw all the bits and pieces that were happening around it around it and i just thought well this is a distraction from the music which is all i care about and all people should care about but i think as things are at the moment and it could change you know merlin said it himself in 10 years time things might be totally different again you mentioned it might go back to a sort of grunge thing where all that stuff just becomes not fashionable anymore i, I mean I- I don't believe that for a second, but yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, it's difficult to imagine it now, but you know, uh, in 1993, I'm sure it would have been a difficult to imagine that in 10 years' time, the Darkness Permission to Land would be the number one album in the UK. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you just, you just, you know, trying to predict the future and how these things will go is 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 a fool's errand. You know, there's there's no point in, you know, you can do it for a bit of fun, but it, it's very unlikely that you'll get it right. But I think we don't actually have many very charismatic figures in, I mean, certainly rock and metal music, like not many coming through. We talked about Riley from Power Trip, and I think there are exceptions to that. And But really, I think a lot of bands have had to create their own lore and their own story. Like Creeper is a really, really good example. You remember I mentioned that book on the merlin interview i actually tried to find it and i've got it here it's called the last days of james scythe and if mm. you recall on the eternity in your arms stuff they had this whole thing about like i think it was a disappearance and like um supernatural stuff and things that happened in and around southampton and this is a book that has been released which is it's kind of built up as it being the true story of the case and the supernatural things that happened and occurred as a result of all that stuff. But I can't like recall a time where a band went to those lengths to create that much of a of a story around what they do. And Merlin made a really good point where he mentioned like the tools that bands have now to do that, to leave these little clues. I remember um creeper it, it all as as a part of this james scythe stuff there was a brief period of time where they said that like all the band members had gone missing do you remember that they had like yeah. they deleted yeah, all yeah. their accounts and all that kind of thing and it was really well planned and executed we talked about very recently upon a burning body um and how mm. I, you know and i wonder now i look back on that and i wonder was that their attempt 
to do something like that. It's just done. It was done in such a cack-handed way. And I it, think it definitely was. Yeah. 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 And it felt like because I, I didn't consider that at the time. I have to, I have to confess. But lo- looking back at it now, I'm like, I wonder if like the previous night they'd had a conversation, they'd had a few beers or whatever. And like, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? But then because the manner in which they went about it was so cack-handed and so shit, it massively backfired on them. And, you know, I've never been into Upon a Burning Body enough to care about them too much. But for me, that was like, well, if you're going to do stuff like that, you can fuck right off. And I think a lot of people did that. But if you Mm. get these campaigns right, and if you think about these things in a way that works and does actually build up a sense of excitement and a sense that you can look beyond the music and explore other things i think that is the way that things are going and there is a there is a part of me which does want to be like at the end of the day the music is the only thing that should matter yada 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 i bring in bands all the time who you know as personalities lovely people nine times out of ten but they're not very interesting to talk to and i i used to try and push those kind of thing that feeder feeder got it all the fucking time yeah 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 yeah. all the time huge yeah yeah they had a ticker tape backdrop on one of their tours and um oh i can't remember who reviewed it but someone in Kerrang was like, the ticker tape backdrop is more exciting than the band, <laughs> you know. Mm. And I mean, Feeder did manage to do arenas and stuff like, but could they now? I'm not sure they could. Very, very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. I don't think there's a press. I don't think you can look at a single band who, you know, it used to be that, that I mean, guitar music was the cool thing, kind of indie rock guitar thing was finding plenty of those bands who got massive during that kind of uh, indie landfill thing that we talk about all the time or the, the emo, whatever. So few of them, I think, had any kind of distinct personality. As much as I don't care for the music of the Libertines, Carl Barrett and Pete Doherty's relationship was something distinct. The yeah, Strokes true. came along, it was something distinct. Jack White has endless charisma pouring out of every pore in his skin and they looked cool but even on a far smaller scale even the white stripes did it a little bit with the whole jack white Mm. meg white are they sisters are they married you know yeah far smaller scale but even they were smart enough to do that and the way that they dressed and the way that everything was presented the presentation very 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 clear who they were and what they were doing and then you put this fucking superstar at the front of it and yeah of course like you can't deny that but then when you get to look you know i i love arcade fire but they could knock on my door right now and and i'd go oh hi yeah who are you yeah yeah, i don't know who they are and you know and and that's a band who i really fucking like let alone knowing what hard fi or pigeon detectives or the academy is or do you know what I mean? All of these bands who were popular at that time, you can literally count pretty much on one hand with like, like Gerard Way and My Chemical Romance. Like you looked at My Chemical Romance and you're like, well, there's a really strong aesthetic. Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco, mm-hmm. again, as an individual and as a band, I think Panic at the Disco had a pretty strong aesthetic. Mm which has sort of only got stronger since Brendan's, uh, or Brandon, sorry, not Brendan. I don't want to get confused again. Uh, Brandon's sort of taken over, the, taken over the band and they've become less abandoned, more about him and the things that he wants to do. But back then, when you, when I, you know, I say it all the time, when Katy Perry and Rihanna and Lady Gaga came along and Beyonce started releasing 
her solo material and you've got like four plumbers competing against that mm. you just can't mm. like i mean musically you can't mm. because fucking umbrella and i kissed a girl is better than you know most of the things that the future heads have put out although mm. i don't mind that first future heads album but you know when you're shit like oh look at the, the guy from maximo park he wears a pork pie hat that's it is it that's it and that is why now you like i honestly can't remember i guess the last time a band who were just two fucking boring normal blokes in mm. guitar music were elevated to anything probably royal blood oh yeah quite possibly yeah i was just thinking as you were talking there i mean so uh, the national a band who we've talked about a lot who are absolutely yeah. fantastic they kind of came in the tail end of that sort of mm-hmm. uh the 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 crap indie phase and oh uh, you know i've said on this podcast before for years because their name began with the and because they came around at that time i thought they were just another one of those bands and then i found out i was totally wrong and that band are amazing could the national as amazing as their material is and they are a brilliant band like across mm-hmm. the board they've done amazing material could the national become an arena act today there's so much against them i don't i don't want to be like no it would be impossible but i think it would be much less likely hugely like, unlikely yeah you know, the war on drugs are doing the o2 yeah next year i think and again I just don't really see that happening again at the moment, you know? Mm, mm. People can say, well, you've got Parkway Driver doing... I mean, are Parkway Drive super... You know, do you know all the members of Parkway Drive? I mean, Winston, I think, in terms of charisma, Winston does a lot of the heavy lifting on that as a person, and he puts himself out as, you know, the figurehead of that band. But they've, again, you know, the thing that Parkway Drive have done, have created this, from day one, you know, this insane live show. Yeah, that people want to go in the same way that Ram. You know, they've not dressed up like Ramstein or Ghost or you know Pussifer or whatever, but they have surrounded themselves with loads of. And you know, it helps again. I think I think a band like the National, then a band who th- that is not. You don't want fire bombs and shit going off at a no. national show, do no, you? No, no, don't no. want you, you. Don't want that. You don't need that at all. So I think it would be really difficult. I think it would be really, really, really difficult for the National to get be elevated to the place that they are now i think they came along at the right time at at a good time and Mm. they made you know and they got away with it because they made like you say really really good albums but again i ignored them because i was like oh yeah you know just another bunch of blokes yeah and there they are yeah and we we had we had gone from what seven eight years beforehand jack white and howling pele from the hives and cedric bixler being like you know those people although well i think the first two i mentioned there are very outwardly charismatic big performers and cedric is as well but he's also just weird as fucking he's more more weird but you know at the drive-in just dripping with charisma with the afros like just fucking again undeniable like these weird fucking guys playing this weird south sub post-punk like you know uh, that was un- that was really really unusual and there's nothing unusual about the the kooks or mm. the you know or most of those bands the the reason why we always go ah yeah but block party is because kelly from block party was like not only their music 10 times better but kelly 
was you know an interesting he had interesting perspectives you know he cussed out oasis massively mm. massively mm. and you know when when all the rest of these bands were like oh i only formed because of nebworth and he was like no they're shit and mm. absolutely fucking took it to him and you're like oh that guy's got a lot to say what's the band sound like and then you hear them they're great um so it's always been important but i think like now it's yeah it, it's in, kind of impossible really i think it was a lot of bands slipped through the net who had very little to say either musically or charismatically and i just don't think and that's that's almost impossible now mm. i would say that's i'd say that's actually impossible now timing i mean timing is always important in terms of like are bands going to become big or why are they going to become big it's really interesting you bring up oasis there um do you know i mean i'll, I'll say this i've been actually re-listening to definitely maybe quite recently and uh, i've been like we should probably do a classic album on them quite soon which is very well, uh, very unusual for me to say yeah I, i'm usually quite I, funnily enough thought that myself recently oh, actually how, how but fun. yeah i'm usually quite disparaging against oasis but uh, oasis would not get past like the scala now i don't think if they came out at, at, at this time in 2021 i don't know i think you could i could see oasis getting to brixton i could see them getting idols big because i think liam would, would and noel would say enough stuff in the press somebody would hear it and go oh the rock and roll's back maybe and then they would mouth off about how much they were gonna just you know beat up justin bieber or something and and you know how billy <laughs> eilish is fat yeah yeah no say. you're probably right you're probably right i mean so i still think but i think that you know even Nebworth, feels like a stretch yeah absolutely not Nebworth, you know um and this is this is you know i uh, this is just timing and this is the case with most bands it's not this idea that like oh those songs are absolutely it's we we always mock that yesterday's film because it sort of insinuates that like well if the Beatles songs were released now they'd be as a massive a deal as they are because those songs are so good it's fucking nonsense that is mm. not how it works and I you know personally as a music fan I find it frustrating that that's not how it works and like I was saying before when I was at the at the independent I made this thing of kind of like going well I don't give a shit if the people behind the music aren't interesting or aren't charismatic if i think the music is great that should be enough of a story however i will admit that unless those bands were already massive unless they had some charisma or some sort of big story behind them the the, the bands who just wrote great music had far far lower hits than the bands who did have a story behind it and and there's just there's just no getting away from that and that is the way that things are at the moment and i don't i think i have pissed and moaned about that in the past i don't know if there's much point in doing that at the moment because that that is the way that things are right now and that isn't to say that bands who don't have any of those stories behind them or create those worlds that doesn't that's not to say i'm wearing a bosk t-shirt right now who I, I think Bosk are fucking great, but they're, they're not ever going to adopt those things because that's just not who they are. You know, they're, they're, that's just not who they are as people. And I'd be really, really surprised if they ever do that. But also, I'd be stunned if Bosk ever get to the roundhouse or, or anything like that because... 
at this current moment in time because they don't have those things. And I think that's a real shame. I think that's really, really mm. sad. But it is also sort of how it is, weirdly. That's just that's just the way it is. That's just the you way know, it the is. Moment. Yeah. And I think because the world is more, there's so many things that are vying for your attention all the time. You have to stand out. That's people it. Can, like, you know, to, to go on to Code Orange, people are like, oh, they look like wrestlers. Oh, my God, why do they look like wrestlers? It's like, oh, fucking hell, you've never seen a picture of Slayer before. <laughs> you telling me that Jeff Hanneman and Kerry King don't look like a fucking tag team? Look how stupid Code Orange are dressed. It's like, people who say that, I'm like... Fucking hell, mate! You 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 like black metal? I do. I think the Code Orange one is a really interesting one. I mean, we 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 haven't actually chatted about the new Code Orange single or anything like that, or our feelings on it um, as of mm. yet. But it's really obvious that Code Orange are seeing an opportunity and they are seizing it, whether for better or worse. Uh, well, I I I mean. Code Orange are exactly one of those bands I'm talking about. Code Orange want to be big. And they're yes. going to get, you know, they're going to do what they have to do to get big. Yes. And if that means losing a bunch of people in fucking, let's say All Pigs Must Die. If, if a bunch of people in All Pigs Must Die t-shirts stop listening to Code Orange and a bunch of people in Rob Zombie t-shirts and Five Finger Death Punch t-shirts start listening to Code Orange, I think there's more of the latter than there are the, the former. Yeah, definitely. So I think, they'll be, I think they'll be quite happy with that. And I think you've either got to just go, well, you know, I like load and I like kill them all. Yeah. Or don't or or just listen to the stuff that you like, which is fine. Yeah. I don't I don't want to turn this into, you know, I I don't want to turn this into uh, a, too much of a code orange chat specifically on that single or anything like that, but I do think that it is interesting that as you say, Code Orange do want to be a massive band, and they have made no bones about that at all. They have made that really fucking clear, certainly from the Forever Cycle, I would say. Like, they're just mm -hmm. like, yeah, we want to be fucking huge. And they are now taking steps to do that. Um, and, you know, I, I think I think there are ways to do that and kind of keep your songs having an element of what you've done before without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And then I think there's ways to do it where people do feel alienated who were into that band because all of a sudden it's like, well, now you are missing the vital ingredient which made you like you in the first place. But that vital ingredient that made people like them in the first place is going to be alienating to a large group of other people. So I struggled with the song because there weren't that all the things that i found exciting about code orange were missing from that new song um and i haven't written them off or anything like that like it's one song you know but i understand completely and utterly why they are doing it because you can't move to some of those older code orange songs in the way that you can move to this one and that's what a lot of people on mass want to do when they go to a festival and they see a band yeah so exactly. i get i mean it. i i i it's funny actually because i was looking just before we started recording i was looking on twitter and i saw someone going i'm selling my at code and actually tagged code orange in that he was selling their t-shirts and then said and someone went, oh, why? why? Why is that? And they went, oh, because of that new song. And to the reply to that would be, I hope you get rid of your Iron Maiden, Slayer, Megadeth, Metallica, Slipknot. Like Any band who released a song that you don't like, not wearing yeah. a T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any, I mean, any band. Like, absolutely absurd. ridiculous. Like, on the basis of fucking stupid, like, you're a pathetic baby, mate. And, you know, it, they basically released Squarehammer, right? They've basically done a square hammer. Yeah. And that's not necessarily, you know, 
that square hammer was completely different to anything the ghosts had done before but it was just a big fucking banger just a massive banger i think square hammer was a much more successful at attempt at it because you haven't thrown out what people liked about you in the first place i think code orange brought something that was genuinely completely different to what was happening before um and and you know something that i felt like i hadn't really heard and felt something mm. really new and exciting and invigorating but you know i i think i think ghost actually had an easier time of it in a way because ghost weren't even when they came out with opus eponymous they weren't doing something brand new musically whereas i think code orange from forever onwards certainly we're doing something which really did feel it did feel like something i've not heard this done in this manner you know i just haven't and i've i've seen people on twitter or facebook go oh but what about this band what about this band it's like no no they do not sound the same at all but ghosts no, were no. doing something that was actually they were just bringing something back which hadn't been done for a long time and doing a really good version of it so i think it's actually easier to ascend with that stuff i think it's much 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 more difficult to put something in people's faces that is totally brand new and become absolutely massive global spanning stars with it because most people don't want something totally new and different they just want to be force-fed the same thing over and over and over again and i think that's where the problem lies um for for code orange and uh, you know i'm that's not me like dismissing it entirely but you know that that's that is the issue and it's and it's difficult to do that and we'll have to see how it goes but you know i already said i didn't want to make this a code orange thing it's become a code orange thing <laughs> classic it's hard not to talk about them because they, because again they have lots of charisma and they have lots of stuff and people actually get super invested in them they're very 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 divisive and lots of bands like fucking again imminence who you know I'm, who i spoke about earlier imminence are not going to be divisive they're mm. going to be a band who dickheads who just like listening to the same who think you know breakdowns are better than the beatles and all that fucking mm. nonsense all those cunts are going to go oh my god this is really great and that's all they fucking listen to and if you want to, and or they're just going to no one's going to know they even exist i'm sure 80 percent of the people listening to this probably never heard them before i'm probably going to hear me go they just sound like architects and go oh okay fine yeah i think the Lovely. other clear thing to say is code orange are divisive by design that's the entire point and yeah. and when people moan and complain about them again you're you're doing the job of marketing them you know if you absolutely despise code orange the best thing you can do is just shut up <laughs> like, people can't this but they thing. can't people can't yeah. this is another thing people can't especially online now people cannot shut up about you have code to have a voice. cannot yeah you they can, you cannot opinion. shut up about ghost you cannot shut up about my chemical romance you cannot shut up about metallica you cannot just these bands who drive you mad because oh i don't understand why they're getting so light oh people are always talking why are people always focusing on this band and not and then and then a story will get put up from fucking bit kerrang or hammer or rock sound or whatever about some little band who are much more artistically challenging and much better people and blah, 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 and all this stuff, and you don't see anyone comment about it hmm. because they're boring. And that, but you know, because there's not, not, not because their, their music might not be boring, hmm. they might not be boring human beings when you get down and chat to them, but looking at a picture of them when they've just gone, oh, great, it's, a, you know, it's another post-hardcore band hmm. in T-shirts with hmm. swoopy hair. No one gives a fuck. Yeah. Like, you know spirit box 
I, I don't give a fuck about Spirit Box. Mm. I don't like their music, but they look they do look distinctive. Really fuck you know, Courtney looks really distinctive. She's obviously got a very great deal of charisma. It's um it's not really a surprise it's happening for them. Anyway, I think we've kind of exhausted that topic of conversation, Renfrey. Yeah. I mean, we could go on, couldn't we? Well, we go could, on we could go on quite quite easily. Well, we won't. We won't. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. Um, go and have a little listen to, uh, funnily enough, talking about strong identities and stuff. We have that Voices review that you can listen to. And we'll be back next week with more stuff. Uh, go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash podcast and, you know, have a little look at all the goodies that we've got on offer over there but until then we will see you next week cheery bye